Hey everybody, welcome back to The Radical Road. It's Matt and Jess in the middle of Montana, and we have Kelly back this week. Don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Truth Social, found at The Radical Road, Twitter at The Radical Road One. Visit our website on theradicalroad.com and email us your questions or comments to Matt and Jess at ontheradicalroad.com. Hey, everybody. Yes, we're so excited. Um, we are going to introduce you to someone that we've met divinely on the road through social media and... Um, we met him through uh, just joining trucking groups on Facebook, and we have a mutual friend, which we've also interviewed him as well. His name's Bill Kruger, um, but Kelly Mack knows Bill. We know Bill, and it just so happens that God kind of divinely lined uh, Kelly Mack and Matt and I up. So it's it's really cool to have you on, Kelly. Thank you for joining us. Well, I'm glad to finally catch up with you guys, uh, Matt and Jess. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me on, so it's going to be awesome. I know. It's been a minute since we've talked. It. I remember exactly where I was sitting the last time I was talking to you, though. We were in oil country up in North Dakota, um, but that's been months ago now. So it'll be fun just to talk to you and catch up. And for me personally, like, Jess does all the communication with you, it seems like. So I, like... I was talking earlier. I'm like, I barely know you, so this is going to be great for me. Well, it is going to be great for me, too. I'm glad to finally talk to you in person. And, and most of our communication between Jess and I has been uh, you know, by email. We do talk uh, you know, on the phone once in a while, but uh, we have you know, some, some projects going on. I don't know if we'll get into that or not, but, uh, but uh, I feel like I know you guys really well. I feel like I know you, Matt, even though we haven't uh, spoken since that time that you mentioned. But, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, we've um, really connected. So I will share with the audience. So um, before Matt and I got called out onto the radical road, um, God really placed it on my heart to write a book. And I mean, that's so out of the norm for me. So I started typing at home and I was just like, what am I doing? I don't even know what I'm doing here. I mean, I'm typing up my life, but I really don't know what direction this is going really. And so I kind of just put it on pause for a minute. And then God actually had called us out on the road, the radical road. And um, so we did that. We went, when we got called, we went and God even gave me the name of the book. And so we just so happened to connect with Kelly Mack and he's an author. He's a ghostwriter. He actually has had started blogging for us and um you know we're working together and and you're gonna help us with a book when this journey is over with right kelly i'm looking forward to it i'm <laughs> looking forward to hearing the rest of you guys story you know i mean that's interesting as a ghostwriter you know i'm i'm waiting for more material so i can yes you know so i can learn your story myself you know so it's, you have got quite the testimony you know you guys so yeah. So I, um, to fill our audience in, I 
I work away at some of it and then I send it to him. Um, it's really hard to <laughs> type in the truck sometimes, depending on where we're at. And so I, I need to be better about getting you more content, but I, I try to send it periodically his way. Um, but I will have you know, I'm journaling in, in a book. So it is written down for you. <laughs> I'm looking and it's going to be great. I mean, I, I can't wait for it to get out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's, public, so. it's not an easy process, is it? It's not an easy process. I mean, I've got it up on my website, these numbers, so I'm familiar with it right off, off the top of my head. But 81% of people want to write a book someday. And, but most never do. The ones that finally get around to starting it, um, 90% of them don't complete the, uh, the first draft. Or when they complete the first draft, it just goes in a, in a, it used to go in a physical drawer. Sometimes it does, but now it goes in a uh, digital file somewhere. Mm. And they never complete it because it's just, it, it, there's a lot that goes into writing a book. There is, so, uh, yes. And they just get up. That's that's where the ghostwriters come in, and and so many books out there are ghostwritten. Probably the number is effectively a hundred percent as far as the, the uh, celebrity books go. Yep, all of those are ghostwritten. Hmm. You know, and so and, and so there's just and most famous people, you know, that put books out there ghostwritten. And a lot of people either just don't have the skills, they don't have the time, and a lot of them they they use uh, their books for business build their business so those are ghostwritten so you know i don't know what the numbers are as far as percentage because you know uh, it's not necessarily put out there but uh a very large percent of trucks uh trucks the books out there are uh, are ghostwritten yeah yeah i don't think personally either of us has the patience to write a book Well, especially in, in your business, you know, it, it, it takes it, it takes time. I had to get away from the truck uh, for a while, you know, to write my novel. It's just kind of a natural thing. But uh, I, I wrote, you know, much of it out there on the road, but I had to sit at home and, and kind of put it together. So when you're bouncing up and down the road, you know, it's very difficult to get much of anything done, you know. You yeah. Run, 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 and then, then you sleep, and, and you guys got all this stuff going on with your podcast and, and everything else. I mean. You guys amaze me with the things that you get done out there. <laughs> we, we do have a lot of energy. Sometimes it's hard to get it focused on one thing, though. So that's why we have you. <laughs> yes, and God. Well, I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm I'm the same way. I've got you know a thousand different projects going on all the time. You know, I've got several uh, besides you know your book. I've got. Uh, Several other books working on. I actually took on another ghostwriting project, but they uh, this this couple is long story with that one. But they they paused their their book for personal reasons. But they had they had quite a remarkable story. Plus, I've got my own book coming out, my second book, and uh, so you know I'm I'm the same way. I've got a thousand different projects going on. Yeah. Do Do you want to plug that book right now? Yeah. What's the book? What's the name of the book? The name of the book is The Sojourner's Road Home, A 40-Day Journey to the Heart of God. And the release date on that will actually not be until September. Okay. But I'll have copies available long before that. As a matter of fact, I was working on it today. I've got to get it back to the publisher by the 1st of uh, February. It's in the hands of my editor right now doing the the final uh, editing on it. And uh, my first book was a novel. 
and it's a totally standalone book, and I intended, I still intend to write sequels to it. But uh, the Sojourner's Road Home was inspired by all the craziness going on last in the world in the last couple of days or so, a couple of days, couple of years or so, uh-huh. um, where people had lost their livelihoods, lost everything, and they they just despaired of life. Yes. And, you know, uh, there's an increase in suicides, alcoholism, drug abuse, and, and all of that. And the book is just was written as a reminder to us all that we are all sojourners in this life. We are all just passing through, you know. Yes. And so it, it focuses on our relationship with God. Yes. And it says, 40-day journey to the heart of God. And we are walking with God now to our eternal uh, road in heaven, our eternal home in heaven. And uh, there's no reason to despair when you have that outlook. So it, it's a 40-day journey. It's a, a uh, story told every day of Scripture and then a story that relates to the uh, journey that we're going through as sojourners. And then uh, there's a uh, page on the other side where people journal and, and they record their thoughts for that day during the 40-day journey. So. And, uh, but that, that will be, that won't be available probably sometime, but it will be available pre-order. Uh, and that's in the hands of my publisher, so I don't even know the date for that yet. Okay. And for our audience out there, we will actually be posting it on our social media so that if anyone's interested, they will be able to pre-order, purchase, um, or just find Kelly Mac online. So. Yeah. And make sure to remind us in September so we can plug it a little bit on our podcast as well. So I'm looking forward to that. That sounds very interesting, actually. But real quick, before we get started on some other stuff, why don't you just, I think from your accent, people probably already know where you're from, but just give us a little uh, high level look at who Kelly Mack is, where you're from, what you do. Obviously, you're an author, but you have, you've done some other things too. Whatever you want to t- tell us about us real quick about who you are. Well, I can make, begin in the beginning. I was born in uh, Tyler, Texas, which is about 80 miles east of Dallas. And, but I moved from there at two years old. My parents moved to Dallas. And the reason that we moved to Dallas, and, and this is a true story, is because Dallas is where the bars were at the time <laughs> and the beer joints. Because <laughs> uh, East Texas in those days was dry. And, and you had to drive, you know, all the way to Dallas, basically, to get uh, to get liquor. And my, my dad, um, he stayed drunk for like 25 years straight and when I was a kid. And so that's really the reason we moved to Dallas. So I grew up in Dallas. I grew up in the Oak Cliff section of Dallas. And those familiar with Dallas know that that's, you know, a pretty rough part of town. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I, I grew up there, and uh, you know, didn't have didn't have a lot, kind of pretty rough background, and uh, so I just kind of uh, you know stumbled through life, and 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 this is one of the motivations for writing the writing the book because I I despaired of life myself, you know, back in my younger days, and uh, my uh, my background was so painful for me, I actually blocked it out, you know, really. I, well, yeah, you can do that. I discovered that you can do yes, that. Yes, you can. And, <laughs> yeah. So, and I didn't even remember much of it myself. But uh, so, uh, 
So that's that's kind of my background. My mom, uh, she was uh, in and out of insane asylums when I was a kid. That's what they called them back in the day. So uh, they would uh, come and haul her off you know, once in a while. She had what we referred to then as nervous breakdown. So yeah. So she would end up in uh, Terrell, which is just uh, east of Dallas. And uh, Terrell was synonymous with the uh, mental institution there. So uh, one of the earliest memories, I, I'm hoping I'm not depressing anybody here. Oh, no. But uh, it, it, has a good, it has a good end. And so um, she, uh, one of my earliest memories that uh, I remember when I think back there is that she, uh, she had a watch that she wore around her uh, neck, you know, the necklace. I don't know. That doesn't seem very, you know, functional to me, but, but she had one. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, uh, and it was a, a treasure gift from her kids. And so I remember her, uh, speaking to a man inside of that watch. Now, if you've ever been around somebody that's, uh, that has uh, just totally out of it. And especially when you're a kid, you know that that's not true. But you get drawn into it. Yes. So you kind of think, well, maybe there is a man inside that watch, you know. So, so anyway, so she'd go off to go off to Carol for a while, and she'd be terrified, absolutely terrified, because they did uh, shock treatments back in those days. And uh, so she was terrified. She went through that, and then she'd come back. And, and um, you know, I learned an awful lot of it through all this experience. And, and so I went to the insane asylum. I still refer to it as that because that's what they were called. Mm-hmm. But I went there and they'd have these guys and we'd go there and they'd be, they'd be behind bars. But we went there and they would, they would cling to the bars and act like monkeys to entertain them mm-hmm. and, and just kind of try to, uh, you know, scare us or whatever. So I learned from back then not to be afraid of those kind of people because, you know, because of those experiences. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of that's kind of where I was at, you know, and I, I uh, uh, you can imagine how much fun it was at the McCoy household. So, so how and, many and kids were there? Fun. Was it just you, Kelly, or did you have siblings? There was there were four of us. They had I have two older, older brothers and a younger sister. Okay. Wow, this so, is interesting. The crazy thing is, is just a couple of days ago we were talking about the old insane asylums. Like we were literally just oh, having wow. a conversation about this. And I had mentioned that they were doing crazy kind of treatments like this where they would shock people and stuff. So this is interesting that uh, this is a big piece of your life. Yeah, and my mom, as I said, she would be she would be terrified. And and she knew when she was, you know, slipping, losing touch with the reality, she knew she was going to that place. And I don't know how she knew it, but she knew she was she was losing touch with reality, and she was going to get those shock treatments, and she was terrified. Mm-hmm. Wow! You know, until she totally lost it, and then uh, you know they took her over there, and they and she actually got some shock treatments. Hmm. But uh, you know, I tell everybody, you know, back in the day, they had these, uh, they had encyclopedias where they had this huge, you know, like massive volumes of Encyclopedia Britannica or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that uh, you know now they have now they have it all that online, so you look it up. But the thing is, to this day, if you look up dysfunctional family and encyclopedia, you'll find a McCoy you know family portrait there. So it was really dysfunctional. 
Wow. So, um, and I'm really, I'm really open with that because it really encourages people because, uh, you know, you can overcome all those things. Yeah. And by the grace of God, you know, I did. So, so was, now was your mom, did she always have mental issues since she was young? Is this generational? Um, do you know any background I don't on know. It? I don't know a lot about my uh, family background on either side, but, um, she, you know, and I learned that, uh, you know, my parents, one of the, one of the, the parts of growing up and maturing is to realize your parents had their own trouble, you know. Right. And my mom, you know, she was dirt poor, literally. I mean, she had like the burlap sack dresses and that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, she was dirt poor. My, my dad has just an incredible, uh, incredibly rough background. Yeah. And, uh, to answer your question, but no, I don't know exactly when it started and how much of that was in there in her uh, background. Right. So the beautiful part is, is that, you know, no matter what our situation is, um, our parents do not define who we are. Right. And our identity is actually in Jesus. Yeah. So. I'm assuming when you were young, though, God wasn't a part of the equation, though, was it? He was not a part of the equation at all. I, I never went to church at all until I was uh, 31 years old when I came to know the Lord. Okay. Uh, other than just being invited to, you know, by a, a kid or something, you know, a friend, and I go there to, you know, eat the free food or whatever, because that was a treat. But uh, other than that, no, it, I, something totally foreign to, to me. And it, it's hard to believe now looking back. And you can believe it now the way the world is, but then, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to believe somebody could be that far removed from, uh, from you faith. know, Christian life and knowledge of, of uh, the Bible and all that as I was. Especially in Texas, it's the Bible Belt. Especially in Texas, <laughs> yeah, it's one of the Bible, the Bible Belts, you said. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't say that my childhood was like that, like, I was clear at the opposite end of the spectrum compared to you. So I can only imagine the impact of having parents like that. That just blows my mind. So how was it going into adulthood? Like, what was your early adulthood like? Well, my early adulthood was spent, uh, well, define adulthood. If you, you know, are you... (laughs) The teenage years and going into that. And, yeah, like you know, older but, teens going into 20s. Well, the uh, my older teen years were kind of a blur because I was into, you know, this was back in, when was that? Late 60s or so, early 70s, I guess. But it was back in the, you know, hippie days yeah. and, and all the drugs. So yeah. I, I took every drug known to man. And uh, I started everything young. I started smoking when I was 10 years old. I smoked when I was uh, 31, you know, like three to five packs a day. And then uh, any kind of any kind of drug that was available, then, you know, I took. So. Yeah. And the way I got into trucking was I, I, had, I didn't know anybody in, in trucking. I, none of my family was, you know, ever drove a truck or anything. But it was just my way. It was a poor boy's way of seeing the world is what it was. It was kind of a way of escape for me. So I just got in my head and said, you know what, I'm going to drive one of those things and I'm going to hit the road and never come back. But, you know, unfortunately, we can't do that, you know. 
but you know, because it, it kind of goes out with you, right? When you leave, but it was it was cool there for a while. But that's that's the way I got into trucking. Yeah, right. As much as we want to run from our problems, you can't run from them. <laughs> no, that's funny. That's about the same thing I did to get in trucking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a lot of guys do. You know, it's that very reason. It is very interesting being on the road and starting to talk to other drivers because you'll come to realize, number one, either it's a last resort or they just got fed up with whatever was going on in their life at the time. Um, so it, it, it blew my mind initially when I started running into people that were previously doctors, lawyers, like professional kind of people. And then all of a sudden they're out on the road driving a big rig and I'm just like, whoa, I did not expect this. But um, those are the categories I kind of see. And of course you got the super trucker, like guys that are just born and love it and they love everything about it. But um, I feel like they fall into the other two buckets more often. So. Um, well, it's funny you should bring that up, Matt, because uh, one of the things I did, you know, when, uh, well, one of the, Trucking last company, a uh, trucking company I worked for for you know fourteen years. For I worked for for a long time, went bankrupt, and and so I got into riding. You know, long story, but uh, instructor, driving instructor for some time, time, and uh, so I could have a little bit more time to ride. And you would believe, but the average person wouldn't believe the the quality of people that come through there. Or the uh, I shouldn't say quality, but the uh, uh, divergence of people that come from all over the world, and uh, for somebody to have a bachelor's degree is very common in the in the driver's school. But also, there's a few guys who who had master's degree. Yep. And there's this one gentleman that came through there who had not one but two PhDs, and here I was, you know, teaching him to drive trucks. Two PhDs. Had, you know, military yeah, two PhDs. Wow. And, uh, yeah, both of his PhDs were in, in things that you don't necessarily make a lot of money at, like uh, Christian counseling and and another PhD that was related. But, uh, yeah, two, HB, two, uh, two PhDs, I call them double doctor. And I had a nickname for all these guys, but I, it was Speedy or something like that because he <laughs> likes to keep his foot on the floor. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. The, the, uh, and, and most of them, the majority of them get into trucking for a while, and then they decide uh, to do something else for a while. And those of us who have been it for a long time, like me, almost without exception, have a love-hate relationship with the road. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't been out there lately uh, because it's a long story, but... Um, I did just work for Samaritan First for a while, but um, uh, say that I, again, uh, Kelly Mack. Who did you work for? Samaritan Samaritan's First. I just oh, yeah. think that's so cool for that you did that for a very brief time. Yeah, and uh, so that's kind of you know where I'm at right now. You know, because I'm I've got the book release coming out and all these other things. You know, so so uh, you know I don't have time to to run and run all the time. You know, run till you drop with these these uh, trucking. Uh, jobs, as you know, tend to be all-consuming. So, uh, anyway, that's where I'm at right and now. That, so, so then how, I mean, you got into the trucking industry at a young age. So, how did you f find faith and become a believer in Jesus? 
I became a believer in Jesus. I, I got in trucking at 21, as I said, and um, I, you know, of course, I'm like anybody. I can tell a ton of stories out there from uh, that time on. But, uh, I kind of, you know, I explained my background and kind of stumbled through life and had, didn't really have any kind of uh, direction at all. And uh, when I was 31 years old, I was living with a woman outside of marriage and then uh which you know was the norm where i came from uh, at least the crowd i ran well and uh so i had a, I, I, I can't say i was actively searching for god I, I did most of my life you know and my when i would sit back and reflect on the, the meaning of life you know but uh one night I met with a pastor and his wife, uh, who my soon-to-be wife would, uh, had invited over. They lived in our apartment complex, and it turns out they were associate pastors of, of a church that we would later attend. But we invited them over, and we sat down at our table, and, and uh, I, was, I was hardened in my unbelief. I had all these intellectual arguments against the Bible and God, even though I'd never read the Bible, I thought I knew it. And uh, but he presented the gospel in such a way that I there was no denying that it was true. And uh, he broke through every argument that I had. And but at the end of all this, I told him when it came to you know push came to shove, he asked me if I was ready to you know accept Jesus, and I said I was not ready, mm. couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. So that was my answer. And, but the Lord had me under conviction from that time and then all the rest of the night. I didn't know what that meant at the time. Right. Uh, but, well, I had a heavy heart and, I, and God was drawing me at that time. And so I basically didn't sleep all night. <laughs> and so I was, you know, had this all going through me all night long. And then I got up and took a shower because they had invited us to the, their church. And so I took a shower, and, and that shower is actually where I met the Lord. Really? I, I've been up all night thinking about that. And, and then um, God gave me a revelation, which I, I have never had a better explanation than since that time, of the uh, connection between the Father and the Son. So when I I came then to the realization that it was God in the flesh on the cross, and I was broken. Mm. I mean, I, I just you know I cried. Which I, you know, where I come from, you know, men don't cry. Right. I feel that way, you know, from my background. But uh, I was broken, you know, man. And when I when I realized that, so I actually got a, a vision. I don't know what to call it other than a vision. But I saw the connection when. God the Father and God the Son realized that uh, God the Son was actually, you know, God in the flesh, and uh, and it broke me. Yeah. So that's one. And and I was soon, you know, after that, I was just totally consumed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know, I guess walking on cloud nine, you could say, as they say. Right. But um, I had no idea what was happening to me. But I, I knew uh, that God had touched me, and I came to know God at that moment. Wow. And 
And, you know, since that time, uh, I've been a, a miserable failure as a Christian because, you know, I thought that I was going to, you know, uh, overcome all these things from my past. And, and, uh, and, and I thought that uh, as a believer that you just, uh, that God just kind of takes care of those things. And, and that doesn't happen necessarily, at least not right away. Yeah. Um, you, uh, you still have to go back and you don't have to go back necessarily and walk through all those things. But, uh, you know, it's not automatic when we, when we are, we're believers. That's why so many of us fail. Right. Yeah. The initial, the initial salvation is just this freedom feel, right? Like you just feel like you said on top of the world, you feel light. It's exciting. Um, but what, um, people don't realize is that there's some work, right? That we need to not work. I don't want to say work, but, but we need to really just repent, renounce and own some iniquities that we've carried and went through. And, and there's so much grace and forgiveness though, right? It's just working through all that for restoration and redemption. Amen. And that the church that I went to, I mean, there's those wonderful people in, in, in many different churches denominations. I don't have any criticism of anybody. Right. But then, you know, they didn't teach any of that. You know, yeah. when you when you were saved, you were supposed to have your act together. <laughs> it was a, a holiness <laughs> church, so you were either holy or not. You know, and then so so nobody really talked about any kind of struggles they had or anything. Right, we're a you work know? in progress, all of us. Oh wow, this is amazing. We, we are a major <laughs> work in progress. You know, well, yeah, you're right. All of us. Yes, all of us. So that's one reason, too, that I'm so open about all this stuff because, you know, we spend so much time, in my estimation, uh, trying to present ourselves to the world like we have our stuff together. Right. And I know when I was a kid, what, you know, what messed me up as a kid is not necessarily as part of my dysfunctional background, but I didn't realize then that dysfunction is the norm. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there really yes. any such thing as a functional family? I don't. No, I was a hairstylist you know, for twenty you, years. I talk to people every single day from all kinds of families, and it is—it's normal to have dysfunction. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh. Dysfunction is the norm. You know, it's just, yes, and you know that's why we love doing deliverance. You know, there's so much generational bondage that comes with a lot of that trauma from our childhoods. Um. Some of it just goes not only back to our parents, but it goes four generations back. And so a lot of times it's just uh, delivering people from the bondage that comes from the generations before them and breaking curses that, you know, families have made from unrepented sin. And sadly, the the children, the generations after, if they, they if there's a curse, they they struggle, right? They feel blocked in certain areas of their life. So those curses have to be broke in order for the blessings to flow. So those are things too that, you know, obviously new believers, they're not going to know that. They don't understand that. That's more crazy faith stuff, right? <laughs> and most and most churches don't don't uh, teach any of that. You know? And uh, so in my mind, that's one of the reasons at least that you'll see so many believers who seem to have all their stuff together from the outside world, you know, and even pastors who, you know, seem to uh, 
be a pillar of the community, as they say, and then the next thing you know, he's running off with a secretary or whatever, you know. It's just, <laughs> nobody can really live up to that kind of life. Right. You know, right. It's, it's just not real. <laughs> this is but, why priests end up touching boys. <laughs> oh, boy. Not, well, yeah. But we, we yeah, won't get into I that, mean, though. <laughs> No, it's uh, that's that's a that's a sad subject. That is yeah. a sad subject. Priests and, and you know and and uh, you know pastors and of course the Southern Baptists have got themselves big time trouble over that kind of stuff. Uh, not just the Catholics. Yep. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree with that. Well, there is, and to your point, there has been a lot of churches and a lot of um, pastors and there in the past that have you know failed their churches and their flocks right? Their congregations. But I really feel like lately, man, churches are coming alive. They're, they're actually pastors are on their game. Like as far as like what the Lord's wanting from them and it's been really fun and cool as we travel to see churches just coming alive and, and living out the living word, right? Like we're just seeing um, pastors actually living according to the word and preaching according to the word and not just part of the word, but the full word. Um, because what we're doing in deliverance is in the New Testament, it's in the gospels. So now we're seeing a lot of churches just coming alive and operating in the full Bible. So it's pretty cool. Now you guys minister on a regular basis in Georgia, is that correct? I have a connection with a church in Georgia that you uh, yeah, we were just in, sometimes speak. Right? Yeah, we were just in Georgia. We went to a conference there. We don't really know anybody there. Um, so we went. So just, we went to a conference in mid-November. Yeah. But then um, we uh, so a couple that we met reached out to us, and um, we did deliverance down yeah. in Georgia recently. So that's what we do out here. Is um, we'll do uh, Zoom sessions with people at night after we park and work with them on inner healing, um, preparing them for what deliverance looks like. Um, and then we prepare them for after deliverance because, you know, there's like, you need to be discipled. You need to go to a, a, a strong church and be discipled by strong people um, and just be in a community and, and in the word. And so, so we met with them for quite a while on zoom. And then we went down there. King brothers actually worked it out that we took freight down there and did deliverance. And then we brought freight back. So. Yeah. So praise the Lord that you work the company that allows you guys to do that. Yeah. So yes. yeah, that's what kind of what we're doing, but I have a lot of thoughts and questions now after we've kind of thrown some things on the table here. <laughs> I find this so interesting. I think we have some stuff in common Kelly, because I was the guy too, that would like get into arguments of people with people about uh, whether God existed or not. I blame a, a philosophy class in college for that, partially, um, but it was my own doing. So it's interesting that you were kind of the same way, and then it just gets blown up, like, years later, because same thing. Like, I was—I'm not good with numbers, but it was around 42-ish that I finally came to Christ. So I was kind of the wanderer as well, always seeking, always felt like there was something more out there. And so we kind of have like similar stories here. So this is kind of interesting to me, but um, I think it's fascinating how, number one, how 
God kind of came into your life. And then it's like, I know what you mean when you say that it's and all the problems aren't solved immediately. Like, I don't know where that comes from, but literally when the, that moment is like the first little baby set step on this huge journey, right? Like it just takes time. Like it takes, it even takes God a while to sort through some things, right? Because we have to be positioned as well. So I guess my question after all this <laughs> is that like, where was the point? Like, you know, you said you go to this church and people are not really being real about things. Like, did you have to step out of that church finally to kind of get moving in a good direction or how did that all happen? No, actually, got, I actually got kicked out of church for the first time. <laughs> My very first church, I got kicked out of it. You did? Uh, there was, what did you yeah, do? Got, <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> but, but uh, no, I, uh, you know, I was just as, as raw as I could be, and, and I guess it's just my nature. But once you, when you have the kind of experience that I did, and you, up, you open up a Bible, and everything new to you, so you, you start reading the Bible, and then you, uh, you know, you put the Bible down, and you look around, and you wonder, where did, where did Christianity go to? I mean, what happened? You look around, and you know it is nothing like what's in the Bible. Yeah. When you're just natural and raw like I was, you know, it's pretty obvious that something is missed. And so there were people who uh, didn't like the fact that, you know, some people thought that uh, things may have been a myth. And so there there ended up being, you know, a lot of trouble once the pastor left. And, and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. If I went through the thing again with the maturity that I have now, I would just, you know, just walk out the door and, you know, just, just let them have, you know, have their way. And, but um, but I wasn't, so I wasn't mature then. So, um, so was it a so, so what is it a case that you were challenging people? Well, it wasn't a, a case. It wasn't necessarily me uh, challenging anybody. I just, I'm very uh, bold. I guess you could say. I've always been that way. I just, I just speak the truth. Right. And that doesn't sit well with people. You know, sometimes. Yep. So, and that that was uh, it was it's more a case of, of that. You know, it's just you know, take the obvious, and and uh, people don't like that. So you were trying to so, be the iron uh, that sharpened I, iron, but it didn't go so well. Didn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it, it didn't go well. No, it didn't go well. So I, I can say I got kicked out of my first turkey. <laughs> um, so so it was it was more like iron cutting into wood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like wood gets all chopped up and iron gets, you know, gets dull after a while ago. <laughs> there was no refinery going on. <laughs> so then what? Like, did you find another church immediately or did you pause for a minute so, or what, well, what went down? Well, no, I kind of, you know, I have a, I, I did not have a good experience with churches uh, early on. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the Lord, you know, why I was placed in that situation, but, uh, it's very common. I guess I was just there to learn all that stuff. And I learned how very, very common all this is, it really is out there in the church world. And, uh, when I use the word church, I use the word church like we 
you know, most of us do, we realize there's the church, that is the institutional church, and then there's the church that's the body of Christ. So when I say the churches I went to, I'm talking about the institutional church. We all understand that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, uh, you know, in any way criticizing, you know, those in the body of Christ in any way, shape, or form. Right. But I, w- I went from that situation. I went to a uh, charismatic church, and that church thing fell apart. It was, it was just kind of in the middle of that, you know, when I, when I walked in the door. And so the uh, I wasn't really involved in anything then, but the uh, the pastor ended off ended up running off with his secretary. The secretary went, ran off with somebody else, and the pastor went on to California and just started another church out there. And everything just kind of fell apart. Oh wow! So so these are the, this is my kind of experience overall. Overall, it's. It, the God really filled me with his Holy Spirit and prepared me for all this stuff. Yeah. And, you know, as a, as a I think as a whole, uh, we forget that pastors are human, just like the rest of us, right? They're in the flesh, just like the rest of us, although they have a call and a mandate on them that's a higher calling than the rest of us. And there's responsibility that comes with that because they're representatives. I mean, we're all representatives, but they're at a higher calling as a representative for Christ. But, you know, I think that things like that build church hurt, but we really have to be reminded that, you know, we go to the house because Jesus is the builder of the house. We're going there for him. We're not going there for the pastor. We're not going there for anyone else at a church. And so um, it makes it a little bit different when we just keep our eyes focused on Jesus instead of the actual church itself. Well, I've been saying this for years now too, is, you know, there's some blame on the church body in some of these places too, because I feel like people tend to put some of these pastors up on a pedestal. Like idols. Because they're, I mean, you know, some of these pastors now are extremely gifted speakers Mm -hmm. and just like, they, they just deliver, you know, every single week and people start putting them up on a pedestal and then, you know, there just becomes this whole, like an ego thing creeps in or whatever it is, you know, but we've been seeing this too. We actually attended a church where some of this stuff was going on, but that's what it was, you know, like church service would get done and then everybody's crowding around these pastors and stuff because they almost see them like celebrities. So that whole thing, I just feel like is a little bit dangerous. And, ju- you know, that was one of the things that as a person that came to Christ later, I was fortunate that I married a woman who kind of like, hey, the whole point of going to church is to connect with God. And that's pretty much it. The pastor delivers a message. He, well, he, in community. He basically has a job. Yeah, and community. Um, but what you're doing is you're going there to connect. And then, of course, yeah, there's community involved yeah, and stuff. But, exactly. you know, the relationship piece is the most important. Not what the, not checking the boxes, not, you know, looking at the pastor, almost idolizing them or looking at him as a celebrity type. Because there's a few yeah. of them right there. Because they'll fail you just like they did you. Kelly. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, being a pastor is really a, a tough place to be, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, God bless my love pastors, you know. 
Um, I love I love men who take that up, yes. take that mantle, and and, and they they minister to uh, to people and to the body of Christ. And uh, you know, I, mean, I I love pastors. So many of them have failed. You know, those those are the ones that make the news. But there are so many others who are you know faithfully serving around the world and just totally given of themselves. Yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, those don't make a good stories that the media wants to focus on. Yeah, yeah. Right. And uh, but the ones you you guys uh, you were just speaking of, Matt, I mean who can uh, who can live up to that? You know, yeah, no when they're put up on a pedestal as you said, you know, they're celebrities and and they don't, in, in most cases they really don't have anybody to, to talk to. If they you know, if they're having a little bit of trouble with lust or whatever it is, you know, and then who do they talk to about that? Yeah. You know, yep. they'll ruin their ministry if that gets out. You know, and then, then they end up, it's just too much after a while, and then they end up, you know, running off with, you know, the secretary, in, in this case, you know, they take off with the secretary of California, and the whole thing falls apart. So, so actually, there's scripture in the Bible, too, um, because our pastors are responsible um, to God for our spiritual health. So in Hebrews thirteen seventeen, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing their authority over you. For they are keeping watch over your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those who will give an account of their stewardship of you. Let them do this with joy and not with grief and groans, for this would be of no benefit to you. So right there, it talks about the mantle, the importance and the responsibility they have for us and the responsibility we have to be under their authority. It's a big job. Yeah, and, and you know, in my mind, there there really is no such thing as a pastor in the New Testament. At least not like you see it uh, lived out today. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there we were not meant to live under a situation where the pastor was up here, you know, and he he did all the work, so to speak, and did the preaching and so forth. And everybody sat down in the audience and watched them. You know, yep. that's just not New Testament Christianity. Yep. You know, we're all supposed to participate, not just participate, you know, out there in the, yes. in the world. When right. It's an ecclesia, right? So, yeah. So it's just a, it's a hard position for, for a pastor to be in. It is. That's a great point, though. But um, so at any point, like, did you get planted in a church? Like, how did you... Uh, did you ever, have you gotten to the point where you feel like you've cleaned up all that mess from the past? Like, how did, how did that all walk out? <laughs> well, it's it was a, a process, uh, to put it mildly. But, but yeah, I got you know, I got involved in the, the church, uh, home church movement for quite some time. I don't know if you're familiar with Gene Edwards, but he's, he's quite up there in age right now. But he, uh, he wrote a number of uh, books on house church movement. And, yeah. and many in the house, House Church movement, you know, uh, worked to kind of capture uh, that essence of what they had, you know, back when the churches began. And you can't necessarily go back there and recreate that, but that is the model, you know, that we should we should live out as believers, you know, to re- be really a part of each other's lives and to to understand each other so we don't have these things like these pastors, you know, taking off with the secretary or whatever it is, you know. So, uh, you know, so I, I learned, I guess, to uh, be grounded as a believer, and I can connect with believers that way 
anywhere in the world. And being on the road, uh, you know, all the time, but for most of the time, it's, it's difficult to get grounded you know, in local church anywhere. Right. Right. So that's, that's one of the problems that, uh, uh, you know, believers face out there on the road now. And that's, that's, you know, those are a lot of people that you guys work with. Yes. And, you know, I love what you guys are doing and finding churches that actually, uh, you know, will, will accept these guys and work with them. And there are a lot of other ministries out there that uh, do, a, do a great work, you know, and God bless them. That, uh, <clears throat> but that's, I mean, going back to the book, I'm not plugging my book, but that was, uh, that was uh, the audience that the book is directed towards. There are millions of people out there. It's not just truck drivers, but those who travel out there and they're away from family and, and uh, fellowship. And, and so it's a, it's a whole different kind of life out there. Yes, so, uh, it is. It is a whole different life it's out kind here. Of cool. It's kind of cool that you can connect with believers anywhere, though. Oh, for you sure. Know? I mean, I can have an instant rapport with anybody. You know, I'll, I'll meet you if I've got a chance to meet you guys in person out there, uh, you know, wherever on the road. Yes. And I already feel a connection with you now, you know. So and you, you can know right away when you have somebody who's a spirit filled believer, you know right away that they belong to Christ and you, you have a, a fellowship with them. Yep. And you definitely, and you definitely run into them too. It's like almost, yeah. it's almost like it's almost on purpose, almost. Yeah, it's. I think it is on purpose at times, <laughs> sure. you know. God is arranging. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you guys, I know. I've, I've heard some of your stories, you know, how that happened. You know, yeah. You have this connection all of a sudden with another believer, and and how does that even work out? Because God's working it that out in His life too. That's right. You know, how, you know, how does that? The chances of that happen are just astronomical at times, but it, it does somehow. So. Yep. Yeah, because so many it's, pieces. I like the out of work. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to, um, like Matt said, run into other believers out here on the road, too, um, and just really connect with them as well. It's been fun. And, you know, even though a lot of truck drivers, like you said, they, they don't have a home church. Um, the ones that we have talked to that have strong faith out here, they are listening to the Bible or um, podcasts or YouTubes while they're driving and they're reading the Bible, you know, when they park or whatever, like they're digging in as much as they can. And you can tell too, because the fruit shows, you can't hide the fruit when you're a follower. If you're really, truly um, following after the Lord, you carry the fruit, like you were saying, you you know, and so it's fun to meet some of the believers out here on the road. And they're like, church is the ecclesia, you know, you're, it's the community of people that are the believers when we come together. And yeah, I, uh, we're kind of running out of time here, but I really want to ask one more question that I kind of asked the last person that was on, because I'm, I'm curious because we've noticed you know, where we're at in our season, we've kind of gotten put in this lane of freedom and deliverance. Where, where's God got you right now? What lane are you in? What's he, uh, what's he moving on you about right now? Well, God has given me a, a, a passion for, for people who are, are I guess, uh, well, obviously those who are despairing of life and, they, and, and those who just need to find their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and many of them are even in, in church. It's not. It's, it's uh, the whole person. 
in Christ. You know, God has has a, a reason for us being here, and God created us for a reason. Yes. And so my my passion is to help people find that. Yeah. And help you know reach down and pull them up. You know, because I obviously you know we just talked about what I've, I've been through. So I guess that's what you know God has used in my life to uh, to have me to reach down to people who are in the bad situations, and with what I've been through, there's nothing that, that surprises me. You know, I've seen it all, and so, you know, I, I, I like to, uh, God's given me a heart to uh, minister to people who have uh, lost their way, even as believers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, because there's so many believers out there that um, have salvation that are just, you know, have a dormant relationship with Christ. So they need to c- come back to him, right? And just a dormant relationship that needs to come alive. So that's good. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, I think we shared the same passion there because, you know, that's kind of where we're at. We're just doing something a little different with it in terms of the freedom and deliverance. But, you know, that's what it is. Like, it's about yeah. people that are kind of trapped in bondage, trapped in strongholds. Um, just in that lukewarm state. They just can't seem to get the get the get the old engine running in the right direction yeah so that's yeah and I think for you Kelly just coming like helping people come into convergence with their purpose right exactly you know as I said you know God created us all with a purpose and uh you know I think it's just I love to see people come alive when they start to live that purpose yes yeah you know when they when they begin to realize that uh, you know God uh, placed certain things in their heart for a reason. Right. You know, there's a reason you have those things in your heart, and uh, you know, and, and some, and, and the whole educational system and and the whole the world system uh, presses against that and wants to squelch that. Right. You know, and uh, so I believe, I love to see uh, God's people grow and and flower and, and become who He created them to be. I love that. Well, it's been super fun having you on, um, and we need to have you on again down the road. Um, no pun intended, but <laughs> um, really, but we we need to have you on again because we we're, we're running out of time. But it's been just great hearing your story, and um, I just hope that that touches somebody out there. So why don't we just uh, finish up uh, with a prayer? Actually, this time I think that we should just finalize with a prayer. Does that sound good? Sounds great. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we just praise you and we thank you for this episode with Kelly Mack. Lord, we just praise you for our audience out there listening. We just uh, hope that this touched some somebody, if, if not one, multiple people out there. We pray that this um, testimony of Kelly's just has impacted others and others. Um, we just pray for change. We pray for uh, walls to come down and for hearts to be open to the Lord and to shift from being maybe a stifled, dormant believer and to, to just be able to come alive in you, that the bondage is broken, the chains just come off. And we just pray that um, that every listener out there that believes that they just are guided right back to the Lord's power in their purpose. And we just praise you and thank you. And we just um, 
pray that uh, Kelly just continues to shine his light on everyone that comes into his path in your heavenly name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. It's Thank been you, fun. Thank you, Kelly. I think, uh, I think uh, when the book comes out, maybe we deep dive that a little bit too, because I feel like uh, there's something there. I'm, I don't get too interested in long books. I'm more of a short reader, but this sounds interesting to me. Probably because it's about God, but that's just me. Well, this is you know, this is this is a short book. It's really just meant to you know be read one you know one uh, passage a day, one page basically, you know, and then you write your thoughts on the next page, and then and then uh, you know my hope is that people flip back through it and they go back to the beginning. They realize you know what the change God has made in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So cool. All right. Well, until next time. Till next time, Rad Roadies. We're over and out. 10-4. We'll see you on the road.